Welcome to episode one of the Throwing Haymakers podcast. We are excited to have you guys here and uh, looking forward to getting this out to you weekly. And today we're starting uh, with our predictions. So we got, uh, we've had a long break because of coronavirus pause. And so uh, NHL is coming back in a couple of weeks. So today we're going to go over our predictions for the qualifying round, uh, round robin, as well as the uh, elimination series that we'll see amongst various teams. Uh, and I'm here with Josh Erickson and Matt Sheridan, uh, all of us from the Last Word on Sports Network, writing for the hockey department there. So I uh, hope you guys enjoy our first episode. So Josh, we'll start with you. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you doing, Brandon? Not too bad. How about you, Matt? Good. How about you? All right. Not too bad. All right. So we'll, uh, we'll just kind of get things kicked off. Uh, Pittsburgh, Montreal, a, a really great matchup there. You've got uh, Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin leading the Penguins into uh, a really what could be an upset potential Montreal, you know, Carey Price backstopping him. And we all know a hot goalie can really push you through the playoffs. So Josh, I'll start with you on this one. What are your, what's your take on this matchup? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously you bring up their Crosby and Malkin, right? So first taking a look at that offense, the first thing I notice when I look at those two teams, put them side by side, the depth isn't a terrible matchup for Montreal at all. You're able to spread guys out like Drew and Suzuki Byron have them in the bottom six and really help kind of get closer to a rolling four line system. Whereas Pittsburgh, you've got two big guns uh, and you know, Pittsburgh's got some good depth too. Uh, they've got Marlowe, Hornquist, Brandon Tanev all sitting down there in the bottom six, but I really don't think that's not where the division is going to be between those two teams. Like if there's an area where Montreal is going to be able to have equal footing, it's there. Uh, but what knocks Pittsburgh over at the top for me is obviously uh, the return of Jake Gensel to that lineup is going to be absolutely huge. I think <laughs> I think the time has passed where everybody thinks he's carried by Crosby. Jake Gensel is a serious individual threat. So having him up there and getting that Gensel-Crosby-Sherry line back together that has such good chemistry and carries together is going to pose a lot of issues for Montreal, especially considering all of the structural defensive problems they have this year. I know Claude Julien spoke about it extensively. I don't think it's ever a really good thing when your coach says, I don't know what's going on with your defensive structure. I remember that quote from November, December. Uh, so I think Montreal is going to have some serious issue there stopping chances, maybe not stopping goals, uh, because, of course, I, I have to give the goaltending advantage to Montreal. Price had an up and down year, but he has an ability to steal games in playoffs that Murray has shown as well at times, but I felt his performance was more suspect than Price. Uh, especially because he put up similar numbers playing on a better defensive team that was giving up less chances. Uh, wild card here is obviously Tristan Jari. If Murray falters, Jari performed really well this season, but has absolutely no playoff experience. And that, you know, goalies are voodoo. You never know. Uh, but if Jari can come in and kind of replace the solid goaltending that Murray was always bringing them, I feel like that's a whole different ball game and it pretty much silences any uh potential Montreal has for an upset as you know that's obviously an interesting take um so you know it's, it's a it's gonna be an interesting matchup what I just want to see uh as we move closer to resume of play so Matt let's get uh, let's get your thoughts on the on the topic Montreal Pittsburgh what do you got yeah um I mean obviously what Josh said Jake Gensel is a heck of a player and I think for Pittsburgh that's a heck of a person to get back into your lineup that's something that is invaluable to people like Crosby and Sheary and Russ. Those guys will definitely benefit from Gensel and feed them in the slot, and you can bang one over them when they need it the most. I think also if uh, Montreal were to get a strong start, it'd be because of Carey Price. Carey Price is a potential game changer for them in net. Um, based off of what he's shown in the past, I think if they get any chance of winning and everything, it'll be because of him. Yeah, no, it's uh, when you look at Montreal, you have to think Carey Price. There's, there's no one else in Montreal that really pulls your name. And because of that, I can really see this series going five games. I mean, that might sound crazy to some people, but Pittsburgh has all these weapons up front. But, you know, the defense you got in Montreal is good enough to, to stop all those chances they're going to give up. Shea Weber's been leading that defense, and he's been doing an excellent job at that for several years now. Um, 
you know, I, I, as much as I'm being a Boston fan myself, I'm not huge on the idea of Montreal making a deep run here. But uh, I, I think it's very possible they can make a deep run. Um, and you look at guys like uh, Jonathan Drouin, uh, Philip Deneau, some guys that may have flown under the radar a little bit because they've been either out with injury or just, you know, they play in Montreal. And Montreal doesn't have a really great forward group. Um, but they, they could surprise some people come playoffs, and I'd be interested to see how that plays out. And you look at Pittsburgh, obviously, amazing offense uh, when you've got Crosby and uh, Malkin there. And Latang, you know, on the, in the back end, he can't be underrated on the offensive, his offensive game as well. You know, I, I, I like Pittsburgh to pull out the win in the series. I do feel like they have the better team overall. But you really can't count out Montreal to, you know, steal a couple games here and there. And, and when you're talking about a five-game series, I mean, two games, that's, that's putting it to the max. So uh, if they steal two games. So, you know, it's definitely something we're going to have to keep an eye on and definitely worth watching. But I would not be overly surprised to see uh, Montreal pull up and pull out an upset either. Um, so we'll have, to, we'll have to see what happens. But I think it's really going to go come down to whoever gets hot in, in the goalie slot. I think if you see a hot Matt Murray, uh, the Penguins are going to win that series. But if Carey Price is on his A game, you know, Mont- Montreal is going to beat him. I don't see a reason why that wouldn't if Carey Price is on his uh, – standing on his head like he has in the past. Right. I see it going five as well. My prediction, all things considered, is Pittsburgh in those five games. Uh, but, you know, either way, you know, if Carey Price is hot and Matt Murray is not, then it's a whole different series. I think Pittsburgh is a good enough team, even if Matt Murray is struggling, to take Montreal to five games. Uh, but still, I also think that that five-game series length is very contingent on quite a big X factor on Montreal's side, and that being Max Domi. Um, if he's ready to go or not. Uh, and obviously you can't fault him if he's not. Uh, but that center depth suddenly looks a whole lot thinner when you take Domi out of the equation. And you're all of a sudden expecting a combination of Phil Deneau and two really inexperienced guys in Nick Suzuki and Gasperi Kakanyemi to try and match up against Crosby and Malkin. And they also have Jordan you, Wheel as well in the center slot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a really good bottom six guy. I, I, I'm high on Jordan Wheel. I think he's a really good piece down there, especially, you know, to compliment against Teddy Bluger on the Penguins. I think that's a pretty favorable matchup for either side. I think they're both great players. But that, uh, if Domi's not ready to go, I mean, I find it hard to see that series going five games without Domi. Uh, not because Montreal wouldn't put up a fight, uh, not because Price wouldn't play well, but purely because center depth is so crucial in the playoffs and really having to overwork a guy like Suzuki, Kotkaniemi, or even Wheel to play against tougher competition than they normally would is just going to draw those matchups down and not make them favorable for Montreal at all. If I can add in something, it I think for sure Pittsburgh's going to win this one. I mean, like you guys said, I think I see it going all the way, five games. It'll be a tight-fought series. I think it'll be a lot of back-and-forth games close, potentially going into overtime more than once. I also see, um, I think Weber will have a, a great playoffs. That guy, he's great on the power play, running it. He can pass it down low. He has a booming shot from the point. I also think what you touched on, Josh, the fact that Domi potentially not playing, that's a big loss for the Canadians. And just the fact that what he brings to the lineup would be missed, that's a huge thing, especially with guys as an experience in the playoffs, such as Suzuki and Kakenyemi, for sure. Yeah, so Pittsburgh in five for all of us. Yeah, and uh, something else I want to throw in there, too, is look at a guy like Thomas Tatar. I mean, he, he's going to be carrying that offense almost by himself there. I mean, he's, he's, got, he's going to have a heavy workload each and every night. So, you know, if he, if he really catches fire the way Price will, I mean, you know, he could he – could, create some problems for Matt Murray in that Pittsburgh defense. Cause I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I don't, I don't feel the same way about Pittsburgh defense as I do about Montreal. So uh, uh, it's a, uh, it's a little bit weaker there. So we'll have, we'll have to wait and see what happens, but uh, it's definitely going to be an interesting matchup to watch as we come down to the uh, qualifying round. I love Tatar in Detroit. He's such a, I'm so happy to see him get his day in the sun. Yeah, no, he's finally getting, uh, getting the spotlight. What we've got next the New York Rangers, Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, this series could really be interesting. Uh, you know, you've got a couple of studs in Artemi Panarin and Mika Zibanejad. 
on the Rangers, as well as a surprising young D-man and Adam Fox. Uh, and then the Hurricanes, basically every defenseman in the league is playing for them at this point. I mean, let's be honest here, they've got so many so, of them. Uh, and, and a very talented forward group as well. So, Matt, I want to start with your thoughts on this one. Yeah, for me, I think I have, I have the Carolina Hurricanes winning this series. I mean, I think, again, it'll be close. Rangers have one of the best defensemen in the league, in my opinion, and Adam Fox. That guy just came out in his rookie season and absolutely dominated. Him being able to go right in first first power play unit and everything, he, he ran it. He's going to be a stud for a long time in this league. And then you look at Carolina in their first line of Svechnikov, Teravainen, and Ajo. That, to me, screams um, – watch out defense. Those guys are absolutely insane, especially with Sveshnikov's skill and Ajo's finishing ability. I think also you look at Carolina's decor and it's it just boggles my mind. They have so many good D that are experienced in every category. You have a bit of offense, you have defense and Brett Pesci and all those guys. It's For me, it's a scary group and it all depends on if uh, Peter Mrazek and uh, James Reimer can uh, hold down the fort for me. This is the only series I have not going five games. Uh, not a clean sweep, but I'll give it to Carolina in four, and here's why. Uh, agree with you that uh, especially Panarin and Zibanejad, I think those two guys are better than anyone Carolina has to offer in terms of offense. They have a lot of nice pieces, but Panarin and Zibanejad have truly emerged as completely play-driving elite players. But you look down the lineup and – depth wins in the playoffs and the Rangers for their third and fourth lines could field a pretty nice AHL team, but that's about it. Uh, you know, Philip Heedle, Greg McKegg, Brandon Lemieux guys give me absolutely no confidence. Uh, and unless Capo Caco has been able to take a odd spur in his development over the past three months while he's been sitting at home, I don't see any reason why he, he should be an impact in this series at all, if not a liability at times. Uh, and then you just over to Carolina's bottom six in terms of forwards. And that's where the real discrepancy lies to me. When you're able to have guys like Justin Williams and Jordan Stahl, Jordan Martinuk, Ryan Dezingle, all those guys sitting near the bottom of the lineup, where Carolina can consistently roll four lines night in and night out, while the Rangers are going to be relying heavily on the top two lines. I'm assuming they'll spread Panarin and Zibanejad out to try and soften that blow a little bit, but that depth matchup's just going to completely exhaust guys like Philip Heedle and Greg McKegg who are in way over their heads. Uh, and I agree with you, Matt. Adam Fox, incredible. Uh, from what I've watched of the Rangers this season, my issue's been with coaching. I don't think the coaching staff's utilize the tools they have on defense to the best of their ability. I know Fox has gotten a lot of good power play time and that's boosting him up a little bit, but I'd like to see him more at even strength. I like to see Truba brought back down. He's been really unimpressive to me. Even Tony D'Angelo, who, you know, is more of a power play specialist. I'd like to see him get more ice time just because you have so many, you have two, big screaming liabilities on that back end and Mark Stahl and Brendan Smith. And I see those guys out on the ice way too much. Uh, Ryan Lindgren, another nice piece that doesn't get talked about, just, you know, throw his name in there. But again, Carolina, it's unfair. Uh, bottom pair of Jake Gardner and Joel Edmondson, right? That's just not... The, the one issue I do see with Carolina are guys like Brady Shea and Sammy Votnin coming in, especially Votnin, who never got to play a regular season game for them. Uh, I think it might take that decor a couple games to get going because even with a training camp like this, you don't really develop chemistry until you're in game action together. Uh, and there's a lot of new faces. So I think, you know, if they aren't quite used to bring to more system, you could have, you know, game one and two could be some high scoring affairs with a couple defensive hiccups from the hurricanes. Absolutely. Yeah. If I can touch base on that real quick, I think, exactly what you just said with a lack of chemistry with them. I think that might pose a problem in the future, but at the same time, the depth that they have and everything, I think if you're comparing it to guys on the Rangers D end, I think Carolina definitely takes this one. Of course. Yeah, no, and I, I got to give things to the Hurricanes too. Um, 
they've got they put together such an impressive team. And we think about just a couple of years ago, we, no one was really talking about them as a contender, but now here they are, one of the arguably best teams in the Eastern Conference. Um, and I will say, the Rangers, while they have developed a nice core to build around, they're not quite there yet. This is still a very young team. Um, I like what they're doing. They're doing really good things. This is not their time. This is not, they're not ready to win playoff series yet. And granted, this is a qualifying round, so technically not playoffs. Um, but, and there's still time to, you know, build this team. Uh, they've got, you know, Artemi Panarin and Mike Zibanejad are, in my opinion, you know, two of the best forwards in the league. And especially Panarin, uh, he should be up for a heart trophy this year, you know, the things that they've done. I just don't see a way that they could beat Carolina because as you said, Teravine and Aho and Svechnikov, that's, that's a, just a dangerous top line. I don't see how anyone's really going to be able to top that, um, except maybe Boston. But most teams aren't going to be able to put out a line that's going to be able to rival that. You know, Adam Fox, great young defenseman. This team is, is on the cusp of doing really some really great things, but they need a couple more years to, to build some more. You got guys like uh, Kravtsov, Vitaly Kravtsov, uh, he'll be coming up in a couple of years, but, uh, you know, right now this team is not ready to compete. And I think, you know, it's not far away, but they, they still got a little bit of more rebuilding to do. Just before we move on, I think as well, it'll be interesting to see leading up to the playoffs who actually gets the start for the Rangers. I mean, they have Georgiev, Shesterkin and Lundqvist, all cal- great NHL caliber goalies. But in my mind, I can't really say or decide which one will get the start. What do you guys think? Well, I yeah, I was going to pivot to that, too. I mean, the thing with Carolina is you, you know what you're getting with Mrazek and Reimer. They're not world-beating, but you know what they're getting, and they're just kind of good enough. When you have that deep of a team, uh, you know, I'm not sure about Carolina going all the way and winning a cup with those two guys in net, but you know what you're getting. You're going to get consistent, okay goaltending. I don't know what I'm getting with the Rangers at all. Uh, I'd say for certain that Georgiev's going to be the third stringer. I don't think Longfist drops any lower than a backup in this scenario, just because of the experience he has. And I think it's going to be between him and Shesterkin. I would need to see, I would start with Shesterkin, quite frankly. That's what I'd do. I'd have him on a ridiculously short leash. Uh, just because you've never seen him in a pressure situation in the NHL. And he was great in the, what, 12, 13 games he played for the Rangers. Uh, But to me, that's that's not a big enough sample size, especially in such a, you know, confusing situation as this to, you know, say he's our guy and I'm putting all my cards with him. So I, I guess it's good to have options if you're the Rangers. I just don't know what you're getting. Yeah, no, that's really the big question with the Rangers is their goaltending situation because you've got a guy like Hank who's been around for years and years and years and just hasn't been able to win the cup. And you really want to start him from an emotional standpoint. It's like you want to say, like, you want to give him a shot to go out and win a cup in what could be one of his last years as a New York Ranger, um, if not the last year. Uh, but you've got a couple of young studs like Georgiev and uh, Shesterkin who are looking for their time in the sun. They want to get into the spotlight and really build a name for themselves. And especially when they've played as well as they have. I mean, Lundqvist has by no means had a, a good year. He's really struggled at times. But, um, you know, Shesterkin and Georgiev have, have been on par with him at the very least. So it, it's going to be a tough call. I could see them giving Shesterkin the nod and net and making him the starter. I really think he's going to wind up being the starter uh, because they want to give him more experience. And the coaching staff isn't going to care as much about the emotional standpoint as a fan will. But, um you know, when you look look at a guy like Shesterkin, he's he screams like, "We got to get this guy in net. We got to get him some playoff experience now." So, in a couple of years down the line, when they are ready to compete, he's not coming in with no playoff experience. He knows what he's getting into. Right. Do do the uh, I'm looking up the schedule right now. Do the does that series have a back to back in it? Just because I mean, I I I can't see in that situation. Uh, if there's a back-to-back, why Lundqvist wouldn't get a start on the second half? Uh, just because it is. So I think Lundqvist is getting at least one start in that series. Yeah, they do. Games two and three are back-to-back. 
Uh, so yeah, we could definitely see a potential appearance by Henrik Lundqvist uh, in in game two or three of that series. So yeah. don't be don't be shocked to see him uh, taking the net. All right, so uh, let's move on to our next series: uh, the New York Islanders and Florida Panthers. Uh, a very defensive and team play oriented game from Barry Trotz in New York, and a Florida team that has really struggled in the last few years. But they've got a couple of good good forwards in Huberdeau and uh, Barkov that are pushing them to the playoffs. So, Josh, we'll start with you on this one. What are your thoughts on Florida and the Islanders? Uh, I'm going to go five games in this one, too. I'm going to take uh, – I know probably a lot of people aren't going to share this view. I'm going to pick the Panthers. Uh, here's why. I've watched a lot of the Islanders this year, and they excelled in a division that, aside from Pittsburgh and Washington, I'd say – is much less offensively oriented than the Atlantic that the Panthers are in. Uh, so the absolutely anemic offense that the Islanders have wasn't as much of a disadvantage to them playing mostly in that division because they were able, they were able to contend with teams like play a bunch of games against the Devils uh, and, you know, lower end teams like that, that, you know, they could get by just with their defense. Uh, and I mean, Florida's low-end depth, they got guys like Brett Connolly sitting there on the third line. Noah Achari, heck of a year. Always hated the guy, but he put up a great show this year. Uh, and if Noah Achari is playing like Noah Achari in the playoffs, that's going to cause some serious issues for the Islanders because he is nasty, nasty, and he brings an element that the Panthers have not had in a really, really long time. Uh, Frank Petrano, who I love, uh, again, just another good piece that doesn't get talked about as much for the Panthers that I really feel like can help capitalize on that discrepancy between the strength of the offenses. Uh, and again, the offensive defenseman that Florida carries, Yandel and Ekblad, I think, uh, at least from an offensive standpoint, again, outweigh the offensive benefit you're getting from guys in the Islanders like Ryan Pulak and Devon Taves. Uh, Islanders got way better defensive structure, though, and that's going to be a really interesting matchup, especially seeing Adam Pellick back in the lineup, who was supposed to be done, and he's going to be back, and he's a piece that does not get talked about nearly enough. Neither does Scott Mayfield, both great guys at limiting zone entries and chances. Uh, and, <laughs> you know, I think it's a five-game series. I'm less confident in, say, Florida winning this series than I am in, say, Pittsburgh beating Montreal. Uh, but I really think it depends on really how good are the Islanders' defense going to be at limiting not only the depth that I mentioned, but the top guys like Brandon mentioned, Huberto, Barkov. They got Eric Howell in the mix, too. Evgeny, uh, uh, Evgeny Dadanoff, Mike Hoffman. Uh, the other huge wild card for me is goaltending. Uh, not only Bobrovsky, but I'm going to throw Chris Dranger's name into the ring and give him some love. I see, <laughs> again, Bobrovsky's your game one starter, but like I said with Shesterkin, I'd have him on a really short leash. Uh, I get that he had a really good playoff run last year. I get that he had a really good season last year, but one of two things is going to happen with Bobrovsky. He's going to soar and make the 10 million bucks that he's supposed to make and do great. Won't be a problem. Or he is going to absolutely crash and burn. And he's going to let the Islanders put a seven spot on him on game one. And if that happens, you need to be starting Dreger in game two. Absolutely insane year. And if anybody is to learn from the lesson that, Jordan Bennington and the St. Louis Blues so kindly taught us all last year. It should be these guys right here because you've got a very eerily similar storyline developing with Chris Dreger. Uh, not to not give love uh, to the Islanders, goalies, and Bralamov and Grice. I think they're great. I think they hold the fort. But if a guy like Dreger can come in and provide equal caliber goaltending for the Panthers, it's going to be a really, really tough series to predict. And before we go to you, Matt, I just want to jump in here real quick. Since we're talking about goalies, uh, Bobrovsky had by not at all a good, a good year um, compared to the numbers that he had put up in his last year with Columbus. So we look at his 
goals against stats, he averaged 2.58 goals against last season uh, with a .913 save percentage. Now let's jump ahead to this year. His first year with the Panthers, huge drop-off. 3.23 goal against average. So we're talking about almost, you know, we're talking about 0.25 basically away from uh, a, a, a entire goal average given up. And then, you know, a 0.13 drop in, in the save percentage. Yeah, I really, that's I don't, one you know, of those. To con, put Bobrovsky con, in there and start. Oh, totally. Uh, it's one of those contracts where you know it's terrible from the moment it's signed. I don't think any, any goalie should be getting $10 million. I think Bobrovsky can be good at times, but I think over his career, he's been one of the more overrated goalies in the league. Uh, just whenever I've watched him play, he uh, name recognition. That's it for me. Like I can't pick him out of the crowd. Uh, and if you're going to pay a ten a goalie ten million dollars, I want a nine twenty save percentage at least out of you. You know, three every four years. Uh, and Bobrovsky just does not have that level of consistency to him because it always feels. Like he has a bit of Craig Anderson syndrome in terms of I'm going to have one Vesna great year and completely drop off the next. Uh, and you never want to be given a goalie like that, that kind of money. And I think that's just the type of decision-making that, you know, is plaguing the Panthers. But I think it's a conversation for another day. All right. So Matt, we just heard Josh's take on all this. Uh, let's let's get your some of your thoughts uh, on the Islanders and the Panthers in the playoffs this year. Yeah, for me, I'm gonna go with the Islanders. I have them winning, and um, like Josh said, five for me. I think for me, Lee Barzal and Eberle. That's a heck of a line. I I really like the way Barzal plays. He's a an elite skater. He can create chances off of anything. He's not afraid to dump the puck and chase it. And then you got a second line of Beauvillier, Nelson, and Bailey. I love the way those guys plays. They're like, I, I would say they're almost a, a glimpse back into the past. They do everything right. They, they can score, they can check, they can fight. And then you look at their depth down below and it's just like, you got guys like Matt Martin, uh, Komarov, Clutterbuck. Those guys are always the playoffs are always such a physical game and I feel that the Islanders have one of the toughest lineups in the entire league and if they can get under the skin of the Panthers then for me it's it's going to be a close series for sure but for me I think if like I said if they can get physical and stuff it's it's going to pose some problems for Florida and again touching on what you guys just said with Bobrovsky and everything for me he was so good in last year's playoffs I wasn't expecting it I mean for me I thought the lightning would get like, even at the start of game one, the lightning scored two quick goals. And I was like, Oh, this is going to be an easy series, but watching the third, they came back and won, and then they just went downhill from there. I think, I don't know for me with Florida, the question is for me, I don't know what version of Bobrovsky you get. You either get the guy last year in the playoffs, who was absolutely stellar, who I thought would lead the blue jackets on a long run, or you get the guy in Florida this year who was maybe subpar at best. And the example I always turn back to is uh, Johnny Quick in 2018 for the Kings against the Golden Knights. I know they got swept, but Vegas was going to be Vegas. Uh, but Quick, who, if I remember correctly, he was in decline already. You could tell the signs were there. And he, you know, was having, a, I guess, a subpar season by his standards. Gets into the playoffs, and I, you know, I'm going to look it up real quick, but I, I, he had at least a 930, I thought in those four games against Vegas. Yeah, sorry, a 947 uh, safe percentage in four games against Vegas. Went 0-4. <laughs> uh, yeah, and the regular – yeah. So, uh, I, I mean, it's definitely going to be interesting. You know, what version of him are you going to get? Absolutely. And goaltending, as you we've already said, goaltending is voodoo. But if Bobrovsky gets hot, they can make a deep run. If he's off his game, they're, they're going to be a first-round sweep possibly. It really depends on what version of goaltending you get. Um, and I got to say, I got to go with the Islanders in this matchup. Um, call me crazy, but the Barry Trotz factor, I've seen what he did with the Caps when they won the Cup, and I saw what he did with the Islanders last year. Last year, I didn't think the Islanders stood a chance of even making the playoffs. And Barry Trotz put them not only in the playoffs, but in a, a top seed in a very comfortable position to make a run. Um, so, you know, like I said, call me crazy. I think that Barry Trotz could, is a, more of a difference maker than any head coach in the NHL. 
uh, in the way he designs his game plan and, and gets his team to play a really good defensive team game. And when you've got a talent like Matthew Barzell on your top line, I know one guy can't win the whole series for you, but uh, he, he's done some really impressive things so far. Uh, I know they don't have a lot of really standout offensive guys, um, but let's look at a, a guy like Johnny Boychuk. Not only is he a solid defenseman, granted he's getting up there in age, but he brings a physical game and a leadership element to that team. Um, and, and that can't really be, that really can't be understated. Uh, he's won a cup. He knows what it's like to be in the big situations. So now it's his job to not only, you know, play good defense at the blue line, but he's got to be making an impact on some of the younger guys in the locker room and showing them not only how to win and how to handle the pressure of the playoffs, but how, how to handle it. Because some of these guys, frankly, they just won't know, you know, they've, they've never been in this spot before uh, where they have a legitimate chance to make a run. Um, and then you, you look at goaltending again, Varlamov, I think he'll probably be the, the starter for this series. And I don't see a reason why he shouldn't be. Um, but it, it's really going to come down to can this Islanders team play good defense like they have last year and, and some of this year as well. Yeah, just to quickly touch base on what you said with Boychuk, I think they have mentioning two other guys in Andy Green and Nick Letty, those guys as well. I think the playoff experience helps a ton because you look at um, Florida's lineup and Josh Brown, Mike Matheson, Riley Stillman, those guys don't have any playoff experience. And I think the playoffs is an absolutely different monster. And when you guys have like Letty, who helped uh, Chicago, if I'm not mistaken, go on a yep. few runs. And you got Andy Green, who helped the Devils make a run to the playoff, uh, to the finals in 2011. I think it's, I think that will help for sure. I think that helps a young Islanders forward core a, a lot. Yeah. And one thing I want to run back to, you know, Brandon uh, mentioned shots and, you know, I hadn't even thought of this before. This is a really big litmus test for Joel Quinneville. How far can he take a team that's a lot, you know, not, not to discount the Panthers, but they're not the same team that he was coaching in Chicago. They're not, you know, anywhere close to the caliber of talent he was given with a Kane and Taze and Key. Uh, so, ha, you know, what his coaching ability is able to do against the Trots, I think the coaching aspect of this series is, you know, going to be really interesting. One guy who's become known for his defensive shutdown playoff prowess and the, you know, old guy who's still kind of trying to prove himself, live up to his big contract that he just signed with the Panthers. So, a lot of interesting storylines in this series. Another thing I want to put out there, too, is just when you look at, frankly, just from star power, um, you've got Matthew Barzell. What do you think of the Islanders? Who else jumps out at you? Nobody, really. They're, they don't have the big name. But then you look at Florida. You know, like I said, I don't like them to win, but they have the stars there. They've got Ekblad. They've got Huberto. They've got Barkov. All of those are, you know, household names in, of NHL fans. Um, and, you know, they, they've been there for a while this team is ready to, to prove themselves or prove to the world that they are better than everyone assumed because they're Florida. They never make the playoffs. They're a bad team. They're never going to win anything. But you know what? If they're going to do it, it's going to be with Barkov, Huberdeau, and Ekblad leading the way. So, I mean, I mean, the deal with Barkov is, you know, he is a guy who a lot of people, you know, myself included, said before this year that he, he should be an O'Reilly type guy, a Bergeron type guy, a Mark Stone type guy that needs to be in a perennial Selkie conversation. And watching him play this year, he did absolutely nothing to suggest that. So he regains his, you know, 2018-19 form. And I think that also gives the Panthers a huge boost because that gives them another defensive presence up front to counter, you know, Barzell, Nelson, Pajot on the Islanders. So... Definitely. And I feel as if my when I first talked about this matchup, I didn't give enough love to the Panthers. I, I think they're an absolutely terrific team that could pose a serious threat to the Islanders. And if they make it past the Islanders, I think they could go far. But I just wanted to throw that in there that there's certainly no lost respect on my part for them. Yeah, no, for sure. It, it has potential to be a, a really fun matchup to watch. Um, you know, I know I'm looking forward to it. All right, so jumping into... Uh, our last playoff series, uh, we've got Toronto and Columbus meeting up, the Maple Leafs and the Blue Jackets. This could honestly be one of the best series that we have uh, 
a very strong and surprising Columbus team in the defensive end. Um, you know, many people thought that they were going to have a big fall off after last year, but they didn't. They stayed strong, played to uh, played a very solid game in their in their own end. And then you've got Toronto, who is one of the best teams on paper, if you ask me. Uh, as much as I can't stand the Leafs, they they should be one of the best teams every year in the league, the way that they're they are right now and have been able to put it together. Um, but right now, as it stands, this this could be our best matchup. So Matt, we'll start with you. Leafs Columbus, what do you got? I mean, with with me living in Toronto and everything, I my favorite team is by far the Leafs. But bias aside, again, I still have the Leafs winning in five games for me. I think with the amount of again Columbus last year, not a lot of people had them going far, but they pulled off the upset in against Tampa. They have a great defensive team with Berensky, Jones, guys like Dubois, Bjorkstrand, Texia. I see them being a great team, but with the rust that I assume most teams will have at the end of the day, I think the Leafs, when you look at their lineup, like you just said, even though you hate them, they're one of the best teams on paper for me with Matthews, Tavares, Marner, Nylander. They, it's, it's, just non, it's just nonstop. And for me, watching, being able to watch them pretty much every game, I think they'll come out, they'll have, they'll be able to produce and, they'll pose a real threat to the Blue Jackets. I just, Matthew's ability, best shot in the league, Marner's playmaking abilities, Tavares's ability to go down low, grind away, set up, same as Hyman. And I think I look, even though the Lee's deep core isn't the strongest, I think if Barry were to turn it up, you got you got a great playmaking guy in Riley, who's one of the best D-man on the leash for sure. And then you got the big, the big X factor for me is Anderson for sure. Because when you've looked at him the last few years playing in Boston, I mean, he had great games, but then he had really bad games. And for me, it's like, when you look back at the Crowley goal, for me, that's a shot that he should have stopped. And that's the change that that was the thing that changed the entire game seven for me. If Anderson can pull it out and be strong and be consistent every game, and you've got a good goalie in Jack Campbell, who I think is definitely better than Garrett Sparks last year. But for me, if Anderson can stay consistent, I have the least winning this one. This is, I think, as close as 50-50 you might get to see in the entire playoffs. I think it might be one of the best series, not in just the qualifying round, but again, the entire playoffs. Uh, both these guys are going to be really motivated out of the gate. So I really think this will go either way. Uh, but I'm going to have to be the... Uh, I don't know what you call it, the Maple Leafs baghead here, pick the Blue Jackets in five. Uh, there are a couple reasons for that. Yes, Toronto's top six is incredible, but, <laughs> you know, Columbus has the option of having Oliver Bjorkstrand, Cam Atkinson, Nick Foligno, and Alex Texier all on different lines, right? You, you know, you're not ever going to see Toronto put Ilya Mikhaev on the fourth line. You know what I mean? Columbus has, I mean, next to maybe Carolina, the, you know, strongest, you know, roll four line sort of system here where the attack just, and may not be a great attack, but it kills you, man. They never let up. And Toronto comes at you for a five minute, span of time and then kind of lets off for five minutes while they'll let Columbus take some shots up. And I, I don't think Toronto's going to win that type of game. And that's the type of game I've seen them play for the past three years. Uh, again, the defense matchup. Zach Wierenski and Seth Jones is, for my money, the best dynamic shutdown pairing in the NHL, not only are those guys beasts on the power play and in the ozone, they're beasts in their own defensive end. And they may not be the best at limiting chances, but when you, you know, uh, throw in the offensive side of the game too, it's really unparalleled what those two guys especially have. And don't ignore the rest of the guys. David Savard turned it around after a really not so great year a couple years ago. Uh, if Ryan Murray can stay healthy, I really like him. But, you know, can he stay healthy? Probably not. Uh, and just too many question marks. 
Justin Hall's good. Is he going to be good in the playoffs? Tyson Berry's good. Are you going to get Colorado Tyson Berry, or are you going to get the shell of Tyson Berry you've been getting for the past six months? Is Cody CC going to turn into an even more flaming dumpster and, you know, cost them this year? You don't know. I have a lot of more confidence in Columbus's blue line there because you have guys who've never really given you a reason to doubt. They may not have, you know, as high a ceiling as some of the guys on the Leafs, but Columbus is like a Toyota truck. They just never, ever stop. Uh, and I get what you were saying, Matt, about Anderson. He's done it before. He's been in there before. He's, you know, shown some really good games. Uh, but, man, Corpy and Elvis, who saw that coming? Uh, and, you know, I wouldn't have believed you if you told me in September that we were going to have a Columbus-Toronto playoff series and that I would have said that Columbus is the goaltending advantage. Uh, that's what I think. I think if – Again, experience, a big deal here, and it's certainly a factor that both those guys could crash and burn. Uh, but so could Anderson, because we've seen that before, too. Campbell doesn't have a lot of playoff experience either. You don't have a goalie in this series that's really shown for an extended period of time in the playoffs with their current team that they can do it. Uh, so, it again... 50-50 matchup and goal. I'd give Columbus the slight edge. Uh, and just a pretty 50-50 matchup everywhere else, too. Yeah. Um, if I could quickly touch base again. I think what you – I totally 100% agree with you, Josh. The ability to just roll line after line after line for the Columbus Blue Jackets is definitely something that's going to cost the Leafs. Similar to Boston, they just didn't stop howling the Leafs. The Leafs could score one or two goals, but then Boston would come back and completely – shut them down and take out the, all the confidence out of their game. I think for the reason I have Toronto winning is because with everyone not having skated for three months, some guys haven't have only had access to their exercise bike and stuff like that. I think if the Leafs can get their offense rolling quickly and catch the Blue Jackets and their defense not at 100%, I think the Leafs could take out, again, touching based on what you said, there's no goalie here that's had any playoff experience. So these guys are going into a completely different ballpark. I think if the Leafs can come out and get their offense rolling, I think they have a good chance of taking three games out of the five game series. Yeah. And the thing that would really turn it around for me and, you know, say, okay, Toronto's going to win this thing is performances by two certain left wingers in Mikheyev and Nick Robertson who, I mean, if you've watched anything over the past couple of days, as you know, if, you know, training camp is any indication, which usually it's not, but if it is any, is totally ready to step in and be a player here. Uh, and if Toronto hasn't had that kind of depth on the wings since Mikheyev got hurt, which was in what, December? So, you know, not only are you getting – I'd argue that's almost as important for Toronto as it is to Pittsburgh getting Gensel back uh, just because he was so, so good. Uh, again, not necessarily the flashiest guy, McKayev, but super, super solid all the way around was just like kind of one of the few guys on this team you never had to worry about when he was on the ice, he was responsible and he was going to take care of his line mates. Uh, and if Nick Robertson is what he says he can be and what he's, you know, shown he can kind of be, if he really is that good, even with, you know, if he's getting paired with like Kerfoot and Kappen and whatnot, if, he, if you're able to stick that skilled a player in your third line, I think that depth all of a sudden starts creating problems for Columbus because then you're getting the really high-end skill lower in the lineup than Toronto has had before. So I think Robertson has a lot of influence on this series. And if he's ready, then I take back everything I said. Uh, but as I see it right now, I think that, you know, 
exhaustion system that Columbus is going to run rolling four lines. It's, it, it's going to tire them out. But Toronto certainly has the ability to outweigh that with offensive depth. I'm just not sure if they have it. Um, Josh, right. just, a, just, just a quick question for you. With, I, I absolutely love Robertson. I think he was an absolute steal in the second round. Having Being able to watch him up here with the Peterborough Peets, he's by far my favorite least prospect. But do you think he beats out guys who are more proven like Pierre Engvall and uh, Kyle Clifford on the wing to get some playing time? Uh, yeah, I think he does. I think, it, well, it'll be interesting to see what happens when Andreas Janssen comes back. But I see Robertson stepping right into the spot that Janssen's vacated. So I think Engvall and Clifford still get some love. I really like Pierre Engvall, but I really, really like him as a fourth-line guy. Uh, I think his game is really well-suited for that type of ice time and that type of environment. Um, so I'd like to see Robertson in a bit of an elevated role above those guys just because I think his game calls for it a little bit more. He isn't going to mesh well with a Jason Spezza. He's going to mesh better with a guy like Kerfoot, who's, you know, more of an offensively-minded type guy. Uh, you know, I, I think, you know, embarrassment of riches. When you have your, – your top six wingers are Hyman, Nylander, Mikheyev, Marner, Kapanen, Robertson, in no particular order. And that's pretty incredible to me. Uh, so again, if that depth all works out and again, Robertson is who he says he is, Nick A.M. is all ready to go. If that happens, it's going to be really hard for Columbus to beat them. But, uh, Columbus works harder than you. It does not matter who you are. The Blue Jackets are the hardest working team in this league. And I don't know how Toronto is going to respond when Matthews was just out there for a two-minute shift and then Columbus comes out rolling with Eric Robinson, Riley Nash, and Emil Bemstrom, and they're working harder than you just worked. It's going to be a battle of will for Toronto. Right, so yeah. just, uh, I'll jump in here real quick uh, with the whole rolling four lines thing. As much as I do think that's going to wear on Toronto, that's something that they've seen before with Boston. Two years running, they've seen it with Boston. And as much as it's going to be tough for them to deal with it again, I think that they've learned their lesson. This is mostly the same team as far as talk about the big players. This is mostly the same team that they had together last year um, as far as the offense goes. But now let's look at the blue line. You've added Tyson Bury. You have another year with Jake Muzzin. You've got Morgan Riley, who is, you know, still one of the best defensive Leafs have. Um, this defense is vastly improved over what we've seen in past years. If they were still rolling what they had last year, I'd say there's no way they win this series. Columbus is going to knock them out, and we're not going to be having this conversation again. But you've got John Tavares, Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, Will Nylander. All of them are going to be coming uh, pedal to the metal. They are not going to let up. They are going to be their, play their offensive game the way that they know that they can, and their defense is actually going to be there to back them up on the other end this time. Uh, they, they don't have to worry about uh, guys giving up uh, bad chances constantly. and Anderson, yeah, he had a, a worse year than last year. I, he didn't have the, he wasn't playing at the same level. But we're still talking about Freddie Anderson. He can show up in the playoffs, and if he does, this team is going to be impossible to beat down the stretch. I I know I said something or I thought similar things last year, um, but I didn't feel as strongly about it because they didn't have the defense this year. They finally seemed to put it together. They fixed their biggest weakness, and now they're going to be a force to be trifled with. And then to give the Blue Jackets a little bit of love here. I love what they've got on the defense. Seth Jones uh, and Wierenski, like we've already said, and then Ryan Murray, if he can stay on the ice, he's, he's, a, he's a great defenseman. It could be a top liner on some teams um, or a top pairing on some teams. And the forward group, yeah, they, they took a big hit losing Panarin and, and Duchesne in the offseason, but they still have Gustav Nyquist. So I think this series goes five. I don't think there's any way it doesn't go five. Um, you know, and then you still got as well uh, Atkinson and uh, – uh, Dubois in that, in that offensive group as well. So while the Blue Jackets aren't to be underestimated, this is also a team that, you know, yeah, they, they knocked off Tampa, but I don't see them as a legitimate contender. I think that they can, you know, make some noise, but I don't see a way that this team with a lack of stellar scoring can make a big push to the playoffs and especially not knocking off 
a team that's as loaded as Toronto is. Um, so they, they've got a good setup for what they have as far as talent. I just don't see how they can knock off a team with the star power Toronto has. Um, and this, this, like I said, we've already said, this could be our closest playoff series this year uh, and one of the most exciting to watch. And it's a shame we're only going to get five games instead of seven of this because I'd really right. like what happens if they go two more. Um, so uh, with that said, we'll move on from Toronto-Columbus. Uh, touch on the round-robin playoff series a little bit. They're not series, but games. Um, so in the East, we've got Boston, Washington, Philadelphia, and Tampa. They're all making up the top four seeds. Uh, so, Matt, we'll start with you on this one. How do you think those four are going to line up? Uh, what do you think the seeding is going to look like when they finish the round-robin tourney? Yeah, for me, this this was where I had the biggest trouble trying to uh, trying to guess because they're all such great teams. You look at Tampa, they have – one of the biggest stars in the entire league in Kucherov. You have Stamkos, you have Johnson, who turns it on in the playoffs. You have Palat and Sorelli, Point, as well. Like, they have so many good forwards. And then you have one of the best D in the entire league in Victor Hedman, just his length and his height and his ability to take over games. you got a budding star in Sergeyev, got a shutdown defenseman McDonough, and a great goalie in Vasilevsky. Those guys are deaf. For me, if they can turn it on in the playoffs – they could go all the way for me. I have, if they can find their game and be like they were last season in the regular season, I don't see anyone capable of beating them. And then touching on Boston, as much as I detest Boston, they're just, again, they're unrelenting. They're, they have, in my opinion, one of the best lines in the league with Pasternak, Marchand, and um, Bergeron. And then they have the depth. Their depth may not be the best, but they will continue to drive you down like Columbus and they will just, they will not stop coming at you. And then you have Chara, McAvoy, Carlo, all those guys can make an impact. And then in my opinion, the best duo in the entire league in Halak and Rask, those guys, if Rask has an off night, you can, you have confidence in Halak going in there and pulling out a win for you as seen in last year's playoffs. And then Flyers for me, absolutely surprised me this year. I didn't think they'd be that good, but kudos to Vigneault. He went in there, he changed the system. He, got the most out of his guys and I think they again they could for me I don't see them doing as well as the other ones I have them as the, the people the the fourth place in their little round robin thing but they could do some damage for sure I mean I, I really like the way Carter Hart plays I think Kevin Hayes could turn it on in the playoffs as well I like Konechny Giroux again been a great player for such a long time I mean they, they're definitely not short on guys they have Provorov as well I love the team as well and then you got Washington Ovechkin, Backstrom, those guys. Again, you could back a few years ago, always seemed to lose to Pittsburgh, but now that Ovechkin's won a cup and has confidence in the playoffs, he is one of, if not the greatest goal scorer of all time. And for me, there's no one who's who could be more deadly in the playoffs if he's on a roll than Ovechkin. And then you have Holpe in net, you have Samsonov as well. I mean, for them, it's great duo. It, it's very close, but for me, my list went Tampa one. Boston two, Washington three, Philly four. And I'll say my list looks <laughs> exactly the same. Uh, I think Tampa Bay, that roster is just far too good to not pick up the number one spot. They have so much talent there. Um, my biggest concern is just they haven't been able to put it together a lot like last year, getting swept by Columbus of all teams who nobody saw coming. So that, that's a big concern for me is will Tampa be able to put it together? And we even saw it in the beginning of this year. They still slumped hard, and people were starting to wonder, is this team going to even return to the playoffs at the beginning of the year because they were looking that, that much different from last year. But they turned it around, they caught fire, and they got themselves right back up in one of those top seeds. So I really think that Tampa Bay is going to lock up that number one seed because they're, I mean, assuming this break didn't affect them too much, they, they, they're still hot. They're still a very hot team that can – win a title right now um and you know maybe we're talking about them as the top as the president's trophy winners if they didn't get off to that very close start so maybe they're the top team in the league yet again um and then boston like you said running all four lines they play a fast physical game they they learned their lesson from last year's loss to the blues that physical teams win in the playoffs yeah you have to have the skill but you have to play physical or you're not going to win games you're just going to get bullied and bullied and bullied and you're you're not going to be able to win a title that way but they've added some pieces like Nick Ritchie who can bring that physical element as well as a scoring touch. So, you know, th this team is, is ready to make an impact. They're ready to go back and 
right last year's wrongs and win a, win a title. So they're, gonna, they're my number two because I can't see them beating out Tampa, but I do think they're going to be one of the best teams in the playoffs this year. And then uh, the Caps, like you said, uh, Ovi, one of the best goal scorers of, the, of his generation. Not a huge Ovi fan myself, but I got to respect his game. He plays a physical game, which isn't seen from a lot of those uh, goal scorers and talent level guys. Um, and I, I love seeing it. And then you've also got guys like Backstrom, who's, who's a great passer. Uh, his passing skills are top-notch. Hope he struggled, has definitely had his struggles this year, but, you know, maybe Samsonov can come in and, and be a strong presence in net. Uh, and then you've got a guy like John Carlson, great offensive mind, uh, great offensive skill. And that's not something you see from a lot of defensemen. He could be a Norris Trophy winner with that level of talent uh, and is, is one of my front runners for the Norris Trophy this year. And then, like you said, with the Flyers, this is a team that nobody really saw coming this year. And they have the talent to get things done, but we were, we're talking about just the top four seeds here. They've got some really high-level talent and some difficult matchups ahead of them. You know, maybe they can squeak out a win or two here, but I really don't see them making a lot of noise versus the Capitals, Bruins, and Lightning. So uh, it's going to be tough for them to really make an impact in the round robin. Yeah, I got to agree with most everything that's been said. I'm going to be the boring guy and say I don't think there's any change from the seedings as it went in. I'm going to go Boston, Tampa, Washington, Philly, and here's why. I don't think that there is a team that this playoff format has screwed over more than the Flyers. Uh, I think, yes, they are a really good team and probably deserve to be where they are, but that's not how they were playing going into the break. They were playing like a top two team in the conference, and I don't think that's sustainable. Thought that was a little bit of a run they won that maybe you know was a little emotionally charged. I don't there was you know a lot of things surrounding that franchise this year with you know Lindblom's cancer battle and Patrick uh, and his concussion issues. So I think you see a little bit bit of a dip in Philadelphia's play. I don't think they're a bad team at all. I think they deserve to be a top four team, especially when you look at how they're built. Like Matt said, uh, incredibly underrated offensive juggernaut with Giroux, Kachuri, Voracek, Konechny, Kevin Hayes living up to his contract, right? Uh, good pieces on defense, especially if Gostas Bear turns it around. Uh, I'm going to go back to I see Boston over Tampa. I don't think there's a team more angry about this playoff format than Boston. I know a lot of, I, I, I know Bruce Cassidy had a couple of things to say about it, that they felt like they were wrongly being challenged, that they felt they earned this top spot in the East and they thought they should have been able to hold on to it. And if there's a team that can get angry and play really well when they're angry, it's the Bruins. Uh, so I think you're going to see a little bit of retribution in their game towards everyone else, a little bit of more of an attitude than they normally would carry. And I think that Tampa may be the slightly better team on paper, but I think Boston is going to come into this little round robin with the vengeance and, you know, play to keep their spot because uh, no one wants to be dethroned as the king. And in that sense, you know, Tampa and Washington, two and three. I just think Tampa's a better team. I do. Uh, I, I think they'll come at this round robin with a little less pressure on them because it isn't the playoffs. All right, yeah, so that uh, pretty much wraps up our uh, thoughts on the round robin play. Um, the one thing I do want to touch on is we got some awards uh, nominees were announced today. Um, yes, so we do. We got uh, our Calder Trophy nominees, uh, Quinn Hughes, defenseman for the Vancouver Canucks, Dominic Kubelik for the Chicago Blackhawks, and Kale McCarr for the Colorado Avalanche. Of course, McCarr uh, made his debut in last year's playoffs for the, the Avs. Um, so real quick, uh, Matt, who, who, do, who do you like to win this trophy this year? For me, it's really close. I mean, kudos to Kubelik. He came over from the Czech Republic, and for me, he had an absolute – like, no one could see him putting the amount of points he did up. I mean, that's an absolute steal for the Chicago Blackhawks. But for me, this was – it's not even – like, for me, it's really close between Hughes and Makar, but I got to give it to Makar. For me, Makar played against tougher competition. Um, he had – he played less games than Hughes, if I'm not mistaken. 
and he had like three fewer points. I really like how he plays. He's such a good puck moving defenseman. He will be an absolute beast for years to come. I mean, for me, he probably gets a Norris trophy vote as soon as next year. He's that good. No, no harm to Hughes either. I mean, he's a franchise defenseman as well. I really liked him coming out of Michigan and all of that. He is very special player. He as well, he plays really similar to Makar, a great skating defenseman who can set up guys like Besser and Pedersen in the slot. He's a, he munches minutes on the power play. He's absolutely amazing at defense as well. He plays a bigger game than what he's known for. He, he's, he plays a physical game and he can change game. But for me, at the end of the day, I have to give it to Makar. Yeah, I, and no offense, I completely forgot about Kubelik and I did a double take when I saw that he was a nominee, but man, he earned it. And that was all on me. Uh, love the guy. So happy that he's come over and excelling the way he has. But yeah, I agree. It's McCarve for me. And I don't, I don't think it's as close as a lot of people might say it is uh, just in my eyes. And that is no offense to Quinn Hughes. I think Quinn Hughes is a great hockey player. Quinn Hughes is probably going to win a Norris trophy at some point in his career. I just Kale McCarr is that good. He is the closest thing I've seen to Nicholas Lindstrom, dear even, in a very, very time. I he is, you know, up Eric Carlson ceiling. He is plays such a unique game and he has not once looked remotely out of place in a pairing play one role. Uh Day one, when he stepped in against Calgary in the playoffs, I'm pretty sure he scored in his first game, if not his second. There is just such a good fit, not uh, j just with the way he plays in Colorado's high-octane system. There's that, too. And he just, again, kind of like what I was talking about with Ilya McKayev earlier, he's just one guy that you absolutely never, ever, ever have to worry about. And I'm not saying you have to worry about that, but McCall, just in terms of playing style, jumps off the page to me way more. And I think he's scarier in terms of all-around game than Hughes might ever be. All right, just real quick, I'll give you uh, McCarr's stats since you guys are clearly so high on him. Uh, 12 goals and 38 assists for 50 points in 57 games. So... Uh, he definitely Incredible. had himself quite an impressive year uh, in terms of offensive output. And then looking at Quinn Hughes, 68 games played this year, uh, eight goals, 45 assists for 53 points. So really as far, in terms of offensive defensemen, these are two of the best in the NHL this year. Um, and they're, they're, if they develop the way that they're looking like they're going to, these are going to be two of the premier defensemen in the NHL for a very long time uh, and potential Norris Trophy winners for both of them. You know, guys that are always going to be stacked up against each other. Um, and so, uh, looking at Jack Adams, I'm not going. I don't want to get too much into this one because you know a lot of this is based around team record. Um, so just look, I'll just get who you guys think is going to win it. Basically, um, we got Bruce Cassidy, John Tortorella, and Elaine Vigneault for the Jack Adams this year. So, Josh, what do you like? Uh, not Cassidy, not to discount the job he's done, but just looking at you know, kind of the track record. For a really good team to have a coach that gets the Jack Adams, it's usually historic. Uh, Boston was really good this year, but they weren't historic. Otherwise, the Jack Adams goes to which team exceeded expectations the most and who happens to be your coach. Uh, so I have a really hard time deciding between Tortorella and Vigneault. I have to go with Tortorella from a personal standpoint. I'm not sure if he maybe <laughs> is going to win over Vigneault, but what he's done with less talent than Vigneault's got to play with, Vigneault's got stars. Vigneault's got Giroux and Couturier. And Tortorella has Oliver Bjorkstrand and Pierre-Louis Dubois. No offense to those guys. I'm super, super high on Bjorkstrand and Dubois, but they're not those guys in Philly. Uh, and Tortorella just has especially seeing him tone it down just a little bit 
in public over the past few years, he commands now a sort of respect from his players that he's never commanded before. And I think command no one else in the league does, aside from maybe Gerard Gallant, who I'm still mystified that he's out of a job, but not going to fault Vegas seeing how they've done with DeBoer. Uh, so I think Tortorella deserves it. I would not be surprised at all to see Vigneault win it, but I think it's between those two guys. Yeah. Um, for me, for sure, it's between Tortorella and Vigneault. Like Josh said, no, no, I'm not hitting on Cassidy for any reason. It's just for me, Cassidy has one of the best lineups in the NHL to work with. He has two absolutely great goalies in Rask and Halak. He has a great decor. And like I said before, one of the best lines in the entire NHL. So I think for me, like Josh said as well, it's who exceeded expectations the most for me as well. I have to go with Tortorella just because, like Josh mentioned again, just the amount of star power that the Flyers have. They have proven stars like Giroux, Hayes, and all those guys. Those guys are great players. And for me, with Columbus having in like a – I would say a little like a worse team than them for sure on paper and the amount of injuries that they lost, the guys, they lost injuries this year, like Jones being out for a long time. And those guys, just how he was able to command his team and still keep them competitive, even with two goalies that I would say with Merzlikens coming over, you didn't know how he was going to perform. He kind of had a rough start, but then he turned it on at the end. And then Corpus Allo, who was never given the spotlight to shine behind Bobrovsky, but who, a great season I just think with all these questions coming into the season he was able to rally his guys command respect and definitely get the most out of what he was given or the most out of what he was playing what his cards were played for sure yeah absolutely and uh, I'm, I've got to give the nod to torch too um, you guys have broken down most of it so I'm not going to get too much into it but especially when you look at what they lost in the offseason you know Three of their three best players in Duchesne, Panarin, and Bobrovsky last year. Um, so to, to get the team back to the playoffs is a feat in itself, not to mention how good they look doing it. Um, so Tortorella's my pick for the Jack Adams. Um, so do you guys have any final closing thoughts? I would just like to say this was an awesome first episode. I really enjoyed this. Fun chatting hockey again after such a long pause and everything. And I look forward to doing this for many weeks to come. Same for me. I feel like this is going to be quite possibly the most interesting two months of hockey I've seen in my short lifetime. Uh, so I am very ready, very, very ready for hockey to be back and excited to move forward with everything going on right now. Yeah, no, this was definitely a, a good way to start throwing Haymakers podcast. Uh, I'm hoping everyone gets to, who listens to our first episode tunes in again next week. Hope they enjoy the, our takes on what's going on in the NHL right now. And uh, it, it certainly looks like it's going to be a very interesting playoffs this year. Definitely not what we're used to seeing with 24 teams being involved, but a lot of promise, a lot of exciting things coming and a lot of great playoff hockey. I'm going to have a hard time not watching while I'm at work. So uh, definitely something to keep an eye out. And uh, please tune in again next week to Throne Haymakers. That does it for our Eastern Conference playoff predictions. Next week, we'll be covering the Western Conference playoffs. I'd like to give a quick shout out to Max Catala for producing the music for the Throwing Haymakers podcast. Thanks everyone who listened and have a good one.